welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, friends. It's lovely to see you this morning. Um, Can you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? If you need um, the talk in a printout version. We always have about 20 or so versions at the back. I think there were some there. So every week, if you find that helpful to follow along, uh, I tend to stay fairly close to what's written and that might help you engage. (laughs) I can't promise though, but I'll stay fairly close. Um, We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been doing a series in this book of the Bible. I'm not going to do a big recap. You can catch up with previous weeks if you'd like to. But I would like to start by asking you a question. This passage talks about love in action and I'd like to start by asking you a question. The question is on on the screen. In a minute or two I'm going to ask you to just think some own thoughts in your head while there's a bit of music playing and then if you want to you can turn to a friend, someone close by. So the question is this, can you recall a time when you felt love? I'm not talking romantic love, I'm talking just kind of family love. Can you recall a time when you felt love or a time when you saw love in action. You've got 20 or so seconds to think about that and then you can turn and chat to someone. We might get a chance to come back to some of those stories a little bit later but um, if I can just draw your attention back. Paul is writing a letter from Corinth to the young church in Thessalonica and you can read about that in the book of Acts and wherever Paul preached in this region called Macedonia, there were either revivals or riots or sometimes both. That was the nature of what was going on here. And so in today's passage that we're going to look at, we see Paul is writing. and He's wanting to talk about three things. He's wanting to talk about love well, work hard and gain respect. That's what we see in this chunk of the Bible this morning. The first thing we see is love well. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 4 and 9 and 10. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Love well. How do we love well? Paul talks about three things about loving well here. Love as family, love as you've been taught, and love more and more. Love as family. The language that we see here in this part of the Bible that speaks to us in our story now is to love as family. Paul uses a a word in, in Greek that's borrowed from the idea of just biological family, brothers and sisters, getting on well. It's Philadelphia, it's not the cheese, it's actually a, a kind of a word that's used for family love. And the church had borrowed that term from wider culture and said, we're going to take that because that's really what God's family should be, like a place where we're brothers and sisters and we learn to love well. That's what we're trying to learn as a community. Paul is basically saying we've got a father in heaven in common, so that makes you and me brothers and sisters. If we share the same father, we're in the family, we're brothers and sisters. Did anybody watch the Queen's funeral? Did anybody see that service? Some of you did. Um, If you did, did you notice the language that the Archbishop of Canterbury used when leading the prayers at the Queen's funeral? When praying to God as father... The queen wasn't referred to with her title. She simply was referred to as Elizabeth, our sister. Did you notice that? This is what the archbishop said. Father, we entrust Elizabeth, our sister, 
She's departed. We trust her to your merciful keeping. So you and you and you and me and our sister Elizabeth are part of a more impressive family than the royal family because we're part of God's family. And that's what Paul is saying. Just get an idea of the family you're part of. So the concept that Paul is drawing on here is in the same way that every family has a feel or a culture about how interactions play out, Paul is saying, hey, listen, I want the culture of God's family to be love. Love in action. That's what he wants to see grow. So love, as you've been taught, the next slide there. You yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. I love this. The Thessalonians were really good at this already. This wasn't like something they were neglecting. They were doing it well. They didn't just feel love like an emotion. They did love. They were loving each other. They didn't really talk about it. They expressed it in the way they lived. In 1 John 3, it says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. These believers understood that they were called to actually love in the way that Christ loved us. We can't say we're a follower of Jesus and not love those around us. In 1 John, it says this, that let us love one another because love is from God. This gets used at weddings a lot, doesn't it? And whoever does love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So love as you've been taught is what Paul is saying. How have they been taught? Well, if they've known anything of the Bible, next slide would show that that love command is there in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus spoke about it very clearly. As I've told you, a new command I give you, love one another. But Paul is also implying the Holy Spirit teaches us how to lean into this life of love within the community. God gives us his spirit and his spirit leads us into all truth. Do you know, every one of us here, if we said yes to Jesus, has the spirit of God living in us. And we can love as we've been taught by God, not just in the scriptures, but also the Holy Spirit teaches us specifically how we might love one another. We have this phrase in our family, which goes something like this. If you think of something nice, do it. (laughs) Uh, We don't overthink it. We try and think, you know, if we think of something nice, maybe that's the Holy Spirit trying to get our attention and it's a prompt to do something about it. And I think with us being followers of Jesus, our consciences are affected by the work of the Spirit. And maybe you're praying one day or you're just going through life and just a a random thought pops in your mind about, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. Maybe that's not just a little random thought. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit just impressing on your heart and life that he wants you to reach out in love. Maybe you sit with that and you go, Father, is there something I should do when you've put that person in my mind? Do you want me to pray? Is it a text? Should I drop in? Is it a bunch of flowers? Just take that initial prompt as a beginning of a conversation with your Father in heaven to say, how might I show love? Is it just praying or is it love in action? I think the Holy Spirit wants to do that. And that's why Paul says, we urge you to love more and more. The next slide there. We urge you to love more and more. That's what he speaks about in this passage. Paul is saying, keep going and keep growing. Keep going and keep growing. Don't settle for a shallow picture of what it looks like to be a family. Don't just skirt at a superficial level. Let's see love in action be the reality and the hallmark of how you do business. Do you know, there are so many dimensions to loving well as a family. 
Maybe your family was lacking in some way. Maybe you told a story and you could just think about love in action. But, but I came across a couple of helpful things. You might have seen this. One, one idea about love, next slide, is to, to listen, observe, value and encourage. When you're in the presence of a person, you're trying to love them, you're attentive to what their story is and you're understanding who they are. But the idea of love languages, that's probably not new for us, but different ways that we can choose to show love to somebody else. So how do, we, how do we as a church family learn to love well? Let's just take those idea of love languages, different expressions or dimensions of love in action. That's the heart of this passage of the Bible. It's not just spoken stuff, hey, I love you, high five. It's like love in action in the way we live and serve one another. As you went through your little conversation with somebody next to you, you thought about, can I think of a time of love in action or when I felt love? I guess it fits into one of these categories. It might not, but if it does, just kind of clock that in your head. Acts of, sorry, words of affirmation. Using our words to bless and speak and convey love. Maybe to encourage or to build up when somebody's in a tough place or to prophesy or to pray for somebody. Acts of service. You know, serving by joining a team. I met somebody, Jonathan, on the door, just welcomed me this morning. I haven't met Jonathan. He just welcomed me in his first time serving in our church family. Supporting somebody with some benefit claims or filling in some forms. What's your gift and strength in using it to serve somebody else? Maybe gifts. Financial gifts. I've seen that happen a lot in our church family. People being prompted to give over and above their normal giving to help somebody else in a time of need. That's love in action, friends. Or even... Giving space, making the decision to say, you can meet in my home. You want to start a new small group? You can use my house. I know you'll spill coffee in my carpet and that'll happen, but that's okay. Because I'm going to give you the gift of my space. Or maybe opening up a spare room for someone to live in. Quality time. Maybe that decision to kind of disrupt your own life and offer to babysit for another family. So they can get to a small group. Or maybe making the decision to come early and stay late so you can serve others. Maybe physical touch, appropriate physical touch is, is being present with someone. We, we do that as we gather. We give each other a hug, but we actually lay hands on people. We pray a blessing. Maybe going to visit someone when they're in hospital and being with them enough and just putting a hand on theirs and just being present, expressing love. Lots of different dimensions to love in action. The idea here is love in families. Families have meals together. They share lives. They share the highs and the lows. And Paul is saying, if we're God's family, we do that. How do we do that, friends? Well, we can't do that with a room full of people. There are too many people. That's why small groups for us are so important. When Paul was just speaking about starting another small group, to be in community with other people consistently is really helpful. If you're not in a group, then I'd encourage you to find a group to belong to. Or if you're feeling stirred to kind of get involved in a group, or, or maybe you're in a group but you'd like to plant a new group that meets at a different time of day or meets around a meal. It's a really helpful place to actually live out this call to be family. We don't want anybody in the room to feel like you're a face in a crowd and a stranger. You're not. You're loved and you're seen by God. And help us be family together by being in consistent relationship. And small groups just is one way to let that express. I want to pause here and recognize that we're coming into some bumpy times. Economically, with all the weirdness of interest rates rising and inflation and household bills, it's a stressful time. Some of you are living with a low level of anxiety because of what's going on. I recognize that. For others, because of the mini budget, you've got a bit more disposable income. You're a high rate taxpayer or something's changed and you've got more money. That's the truth. Hey, in a family, 
You don't just think, well, get on with your bit and I'll get on with my bit. A family thinks about each other. And we hold each other in our hearts and prayers. And so in a small group, it's a place to be honest and vulnerable. Maybe that's not your cultural background, but in the kingdom, we say that the kingdom culture sets the agenda. I'm going to choose to be real and share what's happening and share my fears and concerns. And then in that place of vulnerability and being honest, we can be family. For us as church, when we hear about needs that are bubbling up in the life of the family, very often they get dealt with before we get to officially kind of step in. But sometimes situations kick off and we can hear about it as team and go, right, we can help, we can respond. We can do something practical. We can offer some money. We can do all sorts of practical things. That's happening all the time in a family like ours. But it also happens as we are led by the Holy Spirit, as God teaches us to love and do family well. Maybe we need to just pause there and recognize, Holy Spirit, I'm open for you to prompt me and lead me and nudge my heart and life about being kind of generous and willing to share with the things that you've given me. We're at the midpoint in the passage and uh, we've looked at how we love well and it kind of changes conversation as we get to the second half. This is now the next point, how we work hard. Now let me just think about this for a minute just to kind of engage you here. How would you respond if someone said to you, just be quiet and mind your own business. <laughs> just say that to your neighbour for a minute. See how it goes down. Just be quiet and mind your own business. <laughs> You've been wanting to say that for a while, I can tell. <laughs> Do you know, that, come back to me in a second, that might sound more like an insult rather than a line from the Bible. Well, that phrase crops up in today's passage. We'll discover it in a moment. We need to set the scene a little, just so you understand what's going on in this next passage of the Bible. There are, there are, this passage, in the, well, the 1 and 2 Thessalonians are talking a lot about the return of Jesus. That's what this passage is about. And this, well, the whole, the whole book is about that. And when we think about the return of Jesus, Jesus said, I'll be back. Next picture. <laughs> Jesus said, I'll be back. He said that very clearly. He, he, he went up to heaven, but he's coming back. And actually, there's, a, there's a two ways of looking at it. There's not enough focus or there's too much focus. Let me describe both of those when we think about the return of Jesus. When there's not enough focus on the return of Jesus... When we don't know what the Bible says about the resurrection, about the second coming, about what God is going to do when he renews all things, then too much hope can get placed on the here and now for life change and for transformation. And when that doesn't happen or where things get tough, we can get discouraged or a bit disillusioned. And if we don't temper that with the future hope, we can get a little bit down in the moment. There are no quick fixes. We don't always see constant breakthroughs. There can be genuine suffering, loss, persecution, and pain in this world. And if we don't have a perspective on the future, we can get a little bit taken down in the present. Yet we face all of this in life with a true and certain hope that Jesus will come again in glory and make all things right and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. So one is not enough focus on the future. The other is too much focus on the future. We don't treat the here and now in the way God wants us to. That was the story of Thessalonica. The people believed that Jesus was about to return at any moment so some didn't think there was any point in doing a job. I mean, why work? He's about to come back. Why work? Why do anything? Let's just have a, let's worship and pray and just chill out because Jesus is about to return any moment. That's the extreme version. There's a polarizing going on here. 
People were just lounging around and praying and waiting for Jesus to show up. And they were relying on those who were working or some wealthy believers to pay their bills and provide for them. That was the context. And that's what Paul is speaking to. They were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. You heard that phrase. That context helps us get what's going on here. Let's look at the next bit of the Bible. It says this, make it, we urge you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win respect of outsiders and that you too will not be dependent on anybody. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. Sounds pretty blunt, but you need to get the background and context. Someone abandoned their jobs and their God-given responsibilities to provide and contribute to the wider community. And because those people had more time on their hands, they were the ones that were just buzzing around in wider culture, and they were the visible advert of the Christian faith in the community. And it wasn't a great advert. (laughs) And that's what Paul is getting at. What's Paul saying here? He said, lead a quiet life. I don't think for a minute Paul was saying, just be timid in your Christian witness. He wasn't saying that. I think he was saying... Living a peaceful life means being free from hostility and conflict towards those around you. We're to live quietly, not drawing too much attention to ourselves. We don't cause conflicts and make problems. We just get on with what's before us. One of the translations says this is just about keeping your peace. Live a quiet life is just keep your peace in the places where you are. Keep a peaceful attitude. That's in the life of Jesus. He, he didn't make a lot of noise. He didn't draw a lot of attention to himself. Now, trouble did come when he did God's will, but he didn't go around drawing attention to himself unnecessarily. I think Paul has got in mind here those who are just acting in a way in the public space that is bringing unhelpful attention on the family. In many countries today, and this would have been the case in Thessalonica, Christians are a persecuted minority, and public attention of one person acting in a bit of a cranky way can put the spotlight on the whole family and cause hardship and difficulty for everybody. Wisdom's needed. That's what Paul is addressing in this passage. In the UK, we're in a different place, but the principles remain. We're to avoid circumstances and activities that will bring us into disrepute or cause unnecessary difficulties. I think the Bible's clearly not saying water down your faith in order to fit in and placate culture. He's not saying that. But we need to avoid behavior that needlessly brings disrespect on the gospel or the church. What does Paul say? He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And then he says, mind your own business. (laughs) Paul picks this up again in the second book of Thessalonians. He says this, we hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy, but they're busybodies. There's a difference between brotherly love and meddling in the lives of those around you. And Paul is putting a caution in there. Next thing we see is work with your hands, practical stuff. The Greeks, the culture they were in, despised manual work. They thought any manual work, getting your hands dirty, was just for slaves, and they just looked down on it. But that's not the gospel. That's not the way that the Bible or we as Christians think about activity and industry and being involved. Paul was a tent maker and worked with his hands. Jesus was a carpenter or maybe a stonemason. I was hearing yesterday. (laughs) Work is a gift from God. Sometimes people think that work is the product of the fall, but it's not. It was there before the fall. So there's a clear conviction in the Bible that all work is valuable and ordained by God. The biblical idea of work is not just about what you get your paycheck for. Don't think that way. Work is about 
Where do you make your contribution? You could be unemployed, you could be medically retired, you could be not getting a paycheck from anybody, but still working because you're making a contribution, whether that contribution is paid or not. You could be a stay-at-home mum or dad looking after family, and you've got a contribution. Your work is a contribution flowing out from you to those around you. The idea of work with your hands, it's just got a couple of ideas behind it. The idea of work there is commit to something. That's the root of that word. It means commit. And with your hands, it's not physically just describing all manual work. If I say to John, John, can you give me a hand? I'm not saying, can I borrow your hand for a minute? I'm saying, I want you to engage with the thing I'm doing. So it's an illustration. Work with your hands is saying, commit to activity. Commit to help. Stay engaged. Be present. So we're, known to, we're meant to be known as people who are reliable, who work hard, not just so that we have enough, but that so we've got enough to provide for others in need. That's the time we're coming into in this cultural moment, friends. Don't just think about number one. Think about the family you're part of. That's the moment that we need to respond to and recognize where we're in. Doing nothing is a bad deal. Paul says that. The Bible says that. Whether we're at home or we're retired or we've got some sort of physical disabilities, God tells us we've still got a contribution to make in the family. Paul is warning us and saying, look, we're not consumers, we're contributors. Let me just finish up by saying what Paul's not saying. Paul's not talking about those who are unemployed who can't work. That's a different story altogether. Paul is talking to those, not, Paul is not speaking to those who want to work but can't find it. He's condemning just idleness where there's the capacity or ability to work, but you're just backing off from it. That's what he's speaking about. Just wrapping up, clearly Paul is saying that we, as a community, have a responsibility to work in order to support ourselves, our families, but then also to support those who aren't able to support themselves. And the final thing we see here, just landing, is that we gain respect. We're to actually do all those things, to love well, to work hard, and the impact is that it just impacts those around us. We gain respect. I'm just going to move on really briefly to finish. This church had a reputation. Their story was in the midst of trial and poverty. They'd received the message with joy, and their joy and their hearted response was an example that was being spoken about in the Christian community. We see that in the first chapter. And then a bit later on, Paul is writing in the book of Corinthians, and he writes about the churches in Macedonia as a region, how they stepped up to serve the church in Jerusalem in a moment of poverty. And he says, listen, you guys were in trial and poverty, but out of that poverty welled up this rich generosity you gave to the Jerusalem church beyond your ability to give. And so this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians saying, listen, keep loving well, be responsible, work hard and be generous. Let that be the culture of your community. And God draws on that when another region is having a tough time. They've got this abundance and a decision to say, we're going to be these generous people even though our story is a little bit hard-pressed right now. That's the reputation that came from this church in Thessalonica. Hey, what's the reputation God wants to be from our church family? What's the story that could get told about us? What is the God story that he wants to grow and mature in our family? One of radical love and generosity, one of welcome, one of being a place where We learn to love God. We learn to love each other well. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that the story that's growing? Isn't that the story that God wants to grow? I think Paul is saying, hey, listen, it's already in you, but there's capacity for more. It's what you're doing, but it's what I'm growing. How is he calling us to grow? Well, love and generosity. 
loving well, working hard, and being a generous family is a good start. And I think this is a, a bit of a prophetic moment for us because we're in strange times in our culture when there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of need. And I think the Lord is saying, will you let me grow you in this area that you'll learn to be family, do life well? And will you let me lead you by the Spirit? For some of you, you haven't kind of had that experience where God is interrupting you, that God might prompt you and say, I want you to draw out a few hundred pounds from the bank and put it through that person's door. You hear of a need and he might say, I want you to step into that situation and be present. I want you to be love in action for that family. I can't dictate to you what that might be, but I do want to say to you, the Holy Spirit can lead us and he can direct us so that we can be the family that God's proud of. Can we stand together and pray? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather